0: All right, good morning, hope everybody's doing, doing swell, um, that's one of those words I want to bring back to modern vernacular, just because it sounds so happy, swell, anyway, um, especially if you watch Leave it to Beaver, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if those reruns are even on anymore, but I'm sure you can find them somewhere. If you're at, if you're at home and the audio went a little crazy, sorry about that, um, we're, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun kinks pretty much every week when we're live streaming, so thank you for... Uh, enduring and, and hanging out with us. We are back in First John this week, got several weeks to go. Um, last week we had the privilege of talking about sin, which is always fun. I mean, everybody loves talking about sin, so uh, hopefully you were along for that ride and were able to enjoy it. Uh, but today we kind of swing the pendulum and we get to talk about love, which is, you know, everybody loves to talk about love, so it's good. I'll give you a little bit of information really quickly about uh, the way First John kind of uh, lays itself out, um, and especially the way he wrote this letter. Like, there's three distinct sections in the book in which he talks about love. One of which we covered back in November when we kind of kicked this series off, and we talked about there was a series of uh, if-then statements. You know, because the the book of First John is a book about indicators, like. If you are with God, then this should happen. Or if you are not with God, then this won't happen kind of a thing. And so in that early part of 1 John, we looked at just this idea that if you have love for your brothers or your, and your sisters, then you're in the light. And if you don't, you're in the dark. And John had already made a case that to be walking in the light, walking in the light means that we are with God. To be in the dark means that we're not. The light brings us and affords us sight. It affords, it affords us clarity. We can see where we're going. The darkness, on the other hand, kind of excludes all those things. So it's like, look, as an indicator... If you love one another, like the one-anothers we talked about, that's the family, those that are bound, by, bound to God through Jesus. If you love them, it's a good indicator that you are with God. And so today, what we're going to do, it's a little odd, uh, but there's two sections that are relatively close together in this book, and, but they're not back-to-back, but we're going to cover both of them. Because if we don't, in two weeks, we're going to get to it, and you're going to be like, didn't we just talk about that? So we're going to talk about it all uh, today. Um, And some neat stuff there. And I'll go ahead and give this away, too, because we're covering two large chunks of Scripture, and I normally don't say this is what we're going to do, but here's what we're going to do. There's three big ideas in the two passages that we're going to look at, and they're like what we need to know, okay? Because we have to look at Scripture for two reasons. You know, we have to look at it for what we need to know, and then after we look at those big three things about what we need to know, then we're going to look at three things that we need to do. Because if we're looking at Scripture just to learn, we're missing a huge part of it. We have to look at it for what we need to know, but also what we need to do in response. So we're going to do both of those. That does not mean six points. I'm not one of those guys, so just relax and breathe. Um, I also looked at the live stream last week and realized that I went really long. And in the words of an old pastor buddy of mine, the the head can only absorb as much as the butt can take, and so today I'm going to do my best uh, to not wear your posterior out. And so uh, that's my goal. But anyway, and they also said you should never tell people you're going to go short. So I could have just, man, doubled down and did two things wrong. But anyway, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at these passages, um, see what we learn, see what we need to do. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is trustworthy because you are, and it comes from you. Uh, God, thank you that in these two passages, there's so much uh, worthy of celebration. There's so much worthy of conviction. There's so much worthy of just sitting in and resting in. Uh, God, today, I pray that you speak. I pray that you speak louder than circumstances. I pray that you speak louder than distractions. Uh, I pray that you just speak. God, we thank you, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at these two passages. One is in chapter 4, one is in chapter 3, and we're actually going to look at them in that order, chapter 4, verse, then chapter 3. I know it's crazy. I know if you're a type A or OCD person, this is going to wreck you. I don't know what Enneagram number you would make you that it's going to bother you, but if you're type A or OCD, it will bother you. But just hang on. Uh, we're going to do it. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 and then we'll go back to chapter 3. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, huge word, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now we're going to go back to chapter 3, verse 11. Just continue the thought. Stay with me. It says for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers whoever does not love abides in death whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him uh, they're both talking about the same topic. That's their similarity. But one is going to talk mainly kind of about these things that we need to know, and then the other is going to be very practical. And so that's the reason I read chapter four first because I feel like it, it lays some framework. Uh, let me go ahead and start. The first thing that we need to know, or the first idea, this big idea that we need to latch on to, uh, we see in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, is just this, that God is the standard for love. That God is the standard for love. We have to start there. Because if we don't start there, if we start with any other standard, when it goes to the application, uh, we're just gonna, in the words of uh, my grandfather and, and several other people, and even Jim Carrey, you're doing it all wrong. I don't know if you'll catch that reference, but it, it is. Like if we start with any other standard and then we seek to apply these do's and these do nots, we're going to come up woefully lacking. Very, very short. Uh, and it would be easy, and we don't even have time to go through all of the particular worldly standards of love that we could apply. But even think about uh, the, the ways in which we apply our perception of love to marriage. That um, I even uh, remember talking to someone before I got married, and they're like, Man, when you, when you meet the one, you'll just know, which, which I did, but, and it will just be easy. It'll be easy. This is love. Well, here's the reality. You ask any couple that's been married for 50 years, even 15 years, and you ask them, Has love been easy? And they're going to tell you, Nope. Has not, but it's still love. So when we're starting this talk, this idea, this thinking process about love, we have to start with the standard being God. Verses 9 and 10 in chapter 4, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, or to us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of for our sins. What we have to see right now is that this love that we're basing our standard on, it was on perfect display. It was made manifest or fleshed out. Clothes were put on it, and it walked among us in the form of Jesus. And it started with God loving us enough to say, my son, will you go? And he did. Like, we have to base our perception of love on that. Now, I understand, like, that's a high and lofty idea. That's a big, big goal. If we're told to love and we're like, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then we're told to love like that, man, it, it becomes rather cumbersome. It does. That becomes a weighty task to think about doing that. But understand, that is the standard. Whether we admit that it's difficult, whether we admit that it's a huge task or not, it doesn't matter. We can't downplay what love is because it's hard. It is. It's difficult. It's big. And the standard is very, very high. So God is the standard for love. As a matter of fact, this often quoted three lines or three words in this passage just says that God is love. Understanding that it doesn't say that God displayed love, understanding that it's not even just saying that God modeled love, but no, it's saying that God is the embodiment. That's not the only thing he is. He's also just, he's also righteous, he's also all of these things. But in this particular place, one of the things in which God is, that he embodies fully in in the place of the Father, in the place of the Son, in the place of the Holy Spirit, is it says that God is love. So our standard has to start there. Here's the second thing that we need to see. The second big idea that we need to latch on to before we get to what do we do with it is our love for one another reveals our salvation. Our love for one another reveals our salvation. Like if we look in chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is. Is love So understand, one thing I'm not saying before we get to what we are saying, I'm not saying that if someone is apart from God that they're incapable of love. Not saying that. Because obviously, even anecdotally, you talk to a a couple or a, a mom or a dad who does not know Jesus, they can tell you that they love their spouse or they love their kids. They do. But understand, we are starting with a completely different standard completely different starting place. We're talking about this God love kind of a thing that he displayed in the person, in the work, in the life, in the death, in the resurrection of Jesus, like we're talking about that type of love, and that's what this passage is saying. That type of love cannot be done apart from God, cannot be done apart from God, because God is that. The world is not. God is that. The only way that we are possibly able to do that is by a regenerative work of God in us and that's only made possible through the spirits convicting and Jesus is working um, so our love for one another reveals our salvation in chapter 3 verse 14 it says we know that we have passed out of life in, out of death into life because we love the brothers he's saying look here's more further proof This is one way that we can know that we're no longer dead because we have love for the one another. And again, we've talked about in Scripture, it says we're to love our neighbors. Neighbors are those who are close to us relationally and proximally. But this idea of one another, that's talking about the family. Those bound to God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells them too. We are bound to God vertically. We're bound to one another horizontally. He says, look, the way that you love one another, the fact that you do, you can look to that as proof that you have been brought from death to life. It's further proof. It's one of those if-then statements. If you've been brought from death to life, you will love one another. And so what we began to see is that uh, this uh, this love that we've been granted, that God is the standard of, the image bearer, the the keeper of, the benchmark, like, man, we we can't do it apart from God. Like, this type of love is just not possible for us to do. And so uh, we have to even understand that, man, and to a degree, this type of love is not even normal. Like, it's definitely not human It's definitely not fleshly. This is something else entirely. That's the reason we must start with the standard of God. And so, but the interesting thing about this type of love is that it kind of goes back to talk about this idea of passive and active sanctification that we bring up from time to time. Like, because of what God has done in me, he is remaking me into the image of Jesus, and there are things that I have no part in, that I don't do. Like, he's doing that. It's the regenerative work of the Spirit in me. He is sanctifying me by the work of Jesus alive in me, okay? And there's parts of me that I have nothing to do with that. So this is a byproduct of salvation, this type of love. But here's what makes this very interesting. It's no longer just a byproduct, because now it crosses over into another area called a commandment. Because if we go to John 13... Looking at Jesus, John wrote that exact book there. Why? Because he was there. He wrote, this, this occur- wrote about this occurrence in which Jesus uh, took on the form of a servant, which he did for 30 some odd years. But in this place, very physically, he wrapped a robe around his waist, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he even told Peter, he's like, if I don't do this, you have no place with me. And Peter's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't get it. Wash everything. He's like, Peter, just calm down. Take your seat. Let me wash your feet. But then at the end of that, he says, I give you a new commandment. A new commandment that I give you in verse 34, he says, you are to love one another. But he didn't stop there. He said, you are to love one another as I have loved you. So now, not only is this a condition of our salvation that we are able to love one another and proof of our salvation, but it crosses over from just condition to also it's a commandment. So it's something that God has equipped me to do, and now he's told me I've got to do it. He's told us that we have to do it. So our love for one another reveals our salvation. God equips and commands uh, us to do this. Here's the third big idea that we need to see, and we'll, we'll come back and talk about each of these as we talk about the what do we do with it. And here's the thing that I think we miss very often. The third big idea is that our love also reveals God to the world. Our love for one another also reveals God to the world. Chapter 4, verse 12, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, as a result of translation, this particular line just sounds really discombobulated and disjointed. But here's basically what it's saying. It's like, look, no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another the way he has equipped us and commanded us to, they will. In you. In me. Our love reveals my salvation to me and to us's or y'all's, but it also reveals God to the rest of the world. John 13, 34 told us that that Jesus said, look, you're to love one another as I have loved you, but then he he qualifies that just a little bit in verse 35, and he says, uh, and by the way, the whole world, by the way in which you love one another, they're going to know who you belong to. They're going to know who you follow. They're going to know you're my disciples, mine. So yes, our love reveals our salvation personally and relationally in this context, but to the world, man, it points people to God. Because after all, like I said already, and like we need to see, this type of love's not normal. It's peculiar. It's odd. It sticks out. Man, in Acts chapter 2, like our earliest picture of the church, and I constantly go back to this, uh, we see that right after Pentecost, uh, the church kind of began It began to grow feet and arms and legs and and all of these things that it needed. And at the very end of describing the church, and it says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. It wasn't even about the words that they were sharing. It was about the love they were displaying. And here's the beauty in all of this. Because of what God has done in us, and because of what God has equipped us to do and commanded us to do, we get to show the gospel before we share the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that, that gives me bumps on the back of my neck. We get to show the gospel before we share the gospel. And you say, what do you mean, Dan? Well, I don't know who Dan is. I'm not Dan, but this is what I mean. The way that we love each other should fully display the fact that we've been reconciled to God, we've been reconciled to one another, and God wants to do it to other people. Man, and we thought the, the goal was lofty, or the standard was lofty. I think the ramifications are even loftier. That the way I love you, the way you love me, should declare the beauty of the gospel. Should declare the beauty of the gospel. We get to show the gospel before we share the gospel. And the way that we show the gospel is the way we love one another. I think if we start thinking about uh, the standards of love in which we've observed, the standards of love in which we have clung to Uh, We have to be honest enough with ourselves to say they don't match up to this, and that's okay. It's not okay that they don't match up, but it's okay to admit it. Like, I think that's a great starting place, that we have to admit that the way that I think about love may be incomplete. It's not quite full enough, because I think the beauty of this kind of love is that it's not about us. It's not about scratching an itch that I have. It's not about... Uh, filling a hole in your heart. No, this type of love is about more. This type of love is about like kingdom mindset, creation mindset, that echoing of God that needs to occur from our mouth out of our heart like it has to happen in the way that we love one another. Reveals our salvation but reveals God to the world. Those three three really big, big ideas. So now we've, we've looked at what we know or what we should know or should be able to see out of this. I think we need to look at what we need to do. How this, this plays out. Because again, we've been equipped to do this, but we've also been commanded. So, so what does that, that commandment look like, to love one another well? I think if you're, if you're participating in the five-day reading plan, um, with a lot of us, I think when you heard some of this, you're like, Oh man, I, I read this just like two weeks ago, and it freaked me out then. Like, if you're reading Genesis right now, it's, it's probably way crazier than most of the soap operas that you watched with your mother growing up, if your mother forced you to watch soap operas, maybe like mine did, I don't know. Um, but hey, it happened, and I can't help it. Days of our lives, every day, 1 o'clock, and uh, I can't, I had no choice. I was like 5 or 6, and that was my mom, uh, but either way, Genesis is crazier, okay? Uh, it just is. Um, and so we read the beginning of chapter, the passage in chapter 3, and it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Uh, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters implied there. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You're like, what does this have to do with loving? Well, first of all, don't murder your brother and sister. That would be obvious, but that's not my point. Uh... John here is referencing back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And frequently in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was speaking to highly uh, religious people who clung to the law for their salvation. And he was like, well, let me bust your bubble just a little bit. You've heard it said that you need to do this. I'm going to add to it. Like if you're depending on the law, let's really talk about the law. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he talks about this idea of what murder looks like. And in chapter 5, he says, you've heard it said, verse 21, "Uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, or Gehenna. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I think probably one of the most uh, unrecognized or probably one of the most overlooked ways in which we love one another, put the gospel on display, show it before we share it, is we forgive each other. You're like, man, where did that come from? I I can't point it out in this church. Like... Man, I'm I'm super grateful for the way in which we have navigated uh, the past year, like I am. And I'm sure there are things that I don't know about. Like, I I can't know everything. I can't know your heart. I can't know your discourse with other people. But across the board, in the Capital C Church, in this country right now, man, forgiveness is huge and needs to be practiced quickly. 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 Because there are people walking around, and according to the words of Jesus, they may as well be killing each other because they're so mad, they're so angry over opinions, over differing viewpoints on things like corona, politics, vaccinations, opinions. Don't get your panties in a wad just yet because we're all liable right here because we all have opinions, and everybody else has different opinions. And somewhere along the way, we choose to make opinions more important than family. And we become angry. First of all, I think we need to go and confess. Right here, he's saying, look, if you're angry at somebody and you're letting it continue, it's the same thing as murder. Yeah, it's sin, like we talked about last week. here's what you need to do before you worship, before you're capable of placing an offering at the altar, which was synonymous with worship and still is. We now are the offering. The altar is everywhere. Thank goodness. But before we can do that, we need to go to our brothers and sisters and we need to say, you know what? Um, Whether right, whether wrong, rather rather real, rather uh, misconceived, um, I need to forgive you. Or, on the flip side, we need to ask for them to forgive us. Forgiveness is a two-way street, you know, kind of a thing. And by the way, you know, Jesus told us not only do we love as he loved, but he also told us that we need to forgive as he forgave. And by the way, the way Jesus forgave was entirely, completely, without explanation, without offering, without posturing, just completely completely. I think if we're going to forgive in such a way that it reflects the gospel so that we actually get to share the gospel in a meaningful way, I think it starts with us forgiving one another. And you say, well, I don't have anything against anybody. Really? Really? Maybe we just need to stop and think if we do. Because I think one of the main things about this passage that Jesus is telling us, that if we are harboring that anger, that hate against a brother or sister, Absolutely going to interfere with, your, interfere with your ability to worship. Absolutely going to interfere with your ability to worship because it's just reflecting the fact that we're picking and choosing what we do out of Jesus' commandments. Yeah, I'm going to love people, but I don't want to forgive them. They think differently than me, so I'm just I'll choose to hate them. Can't do that. Like we've been enabled to love like Jesus, but here's the word. We still have to choose to do it we've been equipped but we still have to choose to do it and i think one of the first ways is that we can't be like cain we have to forgive we have to forgive whether the offense was real or not we forgive and i think that starts man and this is something that's a law start too we have to have a conversation with people we, we do. Like, I think we do need to forgive even before we're asked, but guess what? We still need to have a conversation. Like, we still need to have a chat. If someone is harboring something against us or if we're harboring something against someone else, we have to have a conversation. And I'll be honest, it can't occur in an email and it can't occur in a text. It needs to occur face-to-face, breath-to-breath. Whether you wear a mask or not, I don't care. That's not my call, but it needs to happen. Six feet or not, conversation. The lost art. Words one to another that says, "You know what? Even in the midst of all of this, you've hurt me. I want to forgive you. I'm going to head, go on ahead and tell you, I've hurt you. I want you to forgive me." Words, exchange them. We have to do it. We have to forgive each other. Chapter three, verse fifteen. In there, just, man, just quite succinctly, it just says, "Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him." The same idea that we talked about last week, that we cannot go on sinning if we are bound to God. If we can continue to have this practice of unchecked sin, something is wrong. And what is wrong is we do not know Jesus. So if you can harbor anger for your entire life, if you can harbor grudges for your entire life, and it does not bother you, Scripture says you may not know Jesus. As a matter of fact, let me rephrase that. Scripture says you do not know Jesus. So we need to deal with it. Confess, repent, not just to God, but those that have offended us or we have offended. The second is this, verse 16 in chapter 3. It says, uh, "...by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters." Chapter 4, verse 10. "...in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." He's giving us an example of what love looks like through Jesus. And then he's telling us how to do it in chapter three. Here's the other thing. If we are going to love each other, this may sound simple, but we have to sacrificially serve one another. Sacrificially serve one another. It says, but if a brother has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The answer is it does not. If we're looking around at family and they are struggling, they are battling, they don't have what they need, and we do and we don't give it to them, we are not being obedient to Jesus. We are not loving like Jesus. We're being selfish. If I'm looking at my brother and my sister and they don't have food and I do and I don't give it to them, I am being selfish. If I'm looking at my brother and sister and they cannot pay their rent and I have money that they can use and I'm not giving it to them, I am being selfish. If I look at my brother and sister and they are mourning and they do not have anyone to mourn with them and I can be that person and I do not go into them, I am not being like Jesus. I am being selfish. It says if you look at a brother or sister in need and you have what they need and you don't give it to them, you are not loving like Jesus. Period. Man, I'll be honest. I think, like, one thing that 2020 has taught us and 2021 is going to teach us is that we have amazing opportunity to display the love of Jesus uh, with what we have to other people. And we've, like, you've done it. Like, I'll be honest, the people of origins, you've done it. We've watched you do it. It's been amazing. You haven't tooted your own horn, toot toot. You haven't done that. You haven't put it on Facebook. Thank you. You've just done it. So thank you for doing that. But It's not over. It's not over. Man, you have tangible ways just this week that you can do it. We have a family in Origins right now. Crazy things going on. They just had a baby, major health scare going on. A lot of you don't even know them, but that's okay. They're still family, and we're just going to feed them. And you say, well, that's really simple. Yeah, it's really simple. Take them a meal. Take them a meal. That's why we do meal trains. It's just like, look, uh, you're balancing a baby and other kids and, and a job and COVID and all this kind of stuff. You shouldn't have to worry about cooking too. Can we cook for you? okay. You can't cook, that's all right. Grubhub works. You got money, spend it. You don't have money, talk to somebody who does. We'll figure it out. Man, we, if we have been bound to God by grace and bound to one another by the same grace, we can't walk around and just ignore the needs of other people, especially family. We can't, we can't flip and do that. Am I passionate about it? Yeah. Like We can't do that. That's the way the world functions with love. You know what the world says about love? I will love until the point that it costs me something. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, by the way, I will love until the point that it costs me everything. That's the reason it points it out in chapter 4, because that's exactly what chapter 4 is saying. It's saying, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says, hey, if you want a standard for love, here's the standard of love. Jesus gave every single ounce of what he had. That's how we love. And we can't do that on our own. Can't do that by ourselves. But thankfully, God has not called us to something that he hasn't already equipped us to do. Same way that we talked about last week. That he's not called us to live a life in which we face and battle sin. He's already equipped us to do so. Same way here. He's called us to love like Jesus. And he didn't leave us on our own. He's already equipped us to do it. Through regeneration and sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit in me, he is enabling me, he is enabling you to love like Jesus. But we still have to choose to do it. We sacrificially serve one another. The Jesus principle. He gave everything he had. He left no stitch unfurled. Can we do that? We can. Third thing that we need to do is very similar. Third thing that we need to do is super similar. Uh, verse 317, we already read it, but, just, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him as an extension of sacrificially serving one another? Man, we just simply, we just meet needs for one another. We just meet needs for one another. Man, that other passage that we referenced, Acts chapter 2, you know what was so compelling about that image of family? Is that they, un- they understood that their stuff was not in more, more important than each other. It says that they took everything that they had and they put it in a central pot, a central bowl. said, so if you have a need, take it. you got to pay a bill, take it. Man, I promise you this. I promise you this. If we live like that, the outside world is going to go in a, in a direction. It's going to start and say, they're crazy. They're going to start there. Then they're probably going to call us a cult. It'll go there. But then deep down, they're going to be like, man, I wish somebody loved me like that. And then we get to show the gospel well before we share the gospel. If we just meet each other's needs. Now, I know, man, I know we've been conditioned to silo everything. I get it. I get it. Man, we got the mind mentality. That is mind, 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 mind. Wasn't that uh, Finding Nemo? Yeah. Man, I realize that I've quoted far too few movies lately, and I'm sorry. Mind, mind, mind. We got that mentality every single day. Jesus never did. Never did. And I know, we're not Jesus, we're not, but His spirit lives in me. His spirit lives in you as a result of His sacrifice as a result of our by grace through faith confession, and we're being equipped. we're being remade into Jesus day by day. We have to choose to live like it. Can't live like everything's mine anymore. It's not. We've been called to steward it well, take care of it well. That means that we give back to God, but it also means that we give to one another. We do both, and we'd be happy to do it. I know that's bad English. I think the scariest thing about God being the standard of love is that we just have to look at it and realize, I, I'm not very good at this. I think that's a great opportunity just to confess to God you know what God I don't know what love looks like can you teach me can you show me and guess what he'll do he'll teach you he'll show you and it's probably going to cost you it's probably going to cost me it's the gospel on display well before a word is spoken which we get to do too we have to do too But I think it starts with the way that we love each other. I think it's the reason that John talked about it so frequently. He's talking to a group of believers that had no background in this Jesus thing. Walking around Ephesus, most of them were new believers. They were being confronted with Gnosticism or the early days of Gnosticism and everything else in which people were talking about It's all about what you know, not who you know. And he said, no, it's about love. (laughs) God started it. He did it best. He's teaching us how to do it, and he's equipped us to do it. So just go and do it. The world will see, the world will take note, and Jesus' name will be made great. Hmm. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just this idea that you've done something that we can't understand. You've loved without the possibility of repayment, grace. God, I thank you for demonstrating it perfectly through Jesus. Uh, Through his willingness to leave, through his willingness to stoop, through his willingness to conquer what we could not, through his willingness to show us the way. God, I pray if there are those that are here today and listening today that have not trusted in him and him alone for their eternity with you that starts today, if they confess and repent, God, I pray that they would. I pray that they would choose Jesus over their sins. I pray that they would choose Jesus over themselves. And God, I pray that they would give their lives over to you and you would make them into people that look more and more like Jesus. But God, for those of us who do know you, God, I pray that we would accept the fact that we have been equipped to love like Jesus. And I pray that we would choose to do it. That we would choose to love each other just like you told us to and equipped us to do. And God, I do pray the world would see. I pray this city would see. I pray our neighbors would see. I pray our coworkers would see. I pray our kids would see. And God, they would see you. And that you would use it uh, to allow us to share the truth of the gospel with them. Thank you, God, for allowing us to show it before we share it. Pray that we do it well. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.